Hi everyone, Randy Dietrich, and my mission is to add value to others. I believe in the power of the human spirit. My goal is to encourage you to pursue all your dreams with all your imagination. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's talk, please share with a friend. Add value to the world. Okay, guys, so we have a guest speaker today. So you know how it is always the little things that can change your life? So I'm at the winery a couple Saturdays back, and I'm doing a wine cellar tour. And in the audience, there's a guy named Michael Grace. And Mike's there with his wife, and they're going through this wine cellar tour. And then we get over in the underground room, and Michael kind of lingers a little bit afterwards and goes, Hey, can we talk for a minute? I'm like, absolutely, man. He goes, I love what you're doing here. Oh my gosh, I'm all about this. You know, I've lived a life where I've done so many different things in my life, and I would love to be doing somewhat of what you're doing here. And we got talking about how he has a dream of a podcast one day. And you're going to hear about this, guys. Oh, my God. And, you know, there may be an entire brand new podcast coming out by Michael Grace. I'm not going to give it away. I'll let him talk about it. But, you know, the guy ended up writing a Wednesday's talk. He went live on the Blue Ridge Facebook page Wednesday. We just looked it up. 3,009 views of that video. Great stuff, right? And now here we are in the podcast room. Michael's sitting next to me. And he's going to be presenting right now a podcast. Great stuff. So I'm going to give the mic to Mike. Hey, hello, hello, hello. Thanks, Randy. It's uh, so much. I can't thank you, Matt, and letting me be here with you guys. It's just, uh, I've been a listener of yours for a while, not not since the beginning, but recently. And I can tell you, I really love the stuff that you've done. And uh, giving me the opportunity here has been uh, really uh, like a dream come true, so to speak, in, in a way. Um, what I want to talk about today is something that, you know, is in the theme of what we've talked about so far is uh, is, is, is reconciliation, and the, uh, the concept of reconciliation. Um, a lot of the things that you talk about are risky subjects and and you dive into them and it really touches people's hearts and it gives them an opportunity to express themselves. But one of the things that people rarely truly talk about is how do we reconcile? How do we put things back on track? Um, it's a strange word, reconciliation, if you really think about it. It's not used in the context we're going to be discussing here Um unless you're an accountant and I'm married to an accountant and you know, that's, they, they reconcile the books all the time. It's kind of what you have to do, but you know uh, I'm a big believer in definitions um, and you must have defined your term. You're talking about for us to be on the same page and I'm not talking to past one another. We want to talk with one another. So uh, Socrates basically said that he has to define the term in order to, you know, to create his argument or his dialogues. And we're going to, let's do that now. Let's define what reconciliation, and I don't mean argument in the sense of bickering. I mean argument in the sense of let's discuss this thing and come to a conclusion that we both can agree upon. So being Irish, uh, I'm right off the boat Irish. I mean, my parents and my brother, four of my brothers and sisters are from Ireland. And I, I, so I have no qualms about a good bickering, but we really don't want to get into that type of, you know, that bickering in sense. We want to talk about how we define things and really and get down to the meat of it. So what is reconciliation? Most people use the modern terms of to restore friendly relationships with one another or uh, making a viewer belief compatible with one another. Or the most common, like I said before, is financial accounting is putting your books in right order. But back in the day, reconciliation is a really old term. And I mean, ancient old. It was a sailing term. So when wooden ships used to go out into the water, uh, they would actually, water would damage them. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be out in the middle of the ocean with the boards of a wooden boat that are just leaky. That would kind of freak me out a little bit. I mean, it's not that I can't swim, but, you know, 12,000 feet down, as we just saw with the Titanic scenario, 
pretty far down. But what they would do is they bring the ships back into dry dock. And the process of putting those boards back in alignment was called reconciliation. Remember, the ships of a hull are curved. So you got to recurve these boats, recurve the boards into alignment to reconcile them, to put them right, and to right align them with themselves. In religion, to reconcile is to put oneself right with God, align oneself with God's plan. In Catholicism, the sacrament of confession is called the sacrament of reconciliation, putting oneself with, right with God or back in alignment with God. But in the secular word, we talk about saying you're sorry or apologizing, even asking for forgiveness. We teach our kids that when we hurt one another, we should own up to it. You should go and apologize and, and recognize what you've done with your actions. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. We should always acknowledge our transgression, especially when we've hurt someone close to us. But the problems with this practice, it doesn't truly solve the problem with transgressions. How many times have we seen children, usually directed by one of our adults or your teacher, saying, go say you're sorry? And the child will see you know, that they hurt, and they, they go over to the child and say, I'm sorry, my bad, or whatever. They don't really actually mean it. So if you're really like highfalutin, you might say, pardon me, but saying you're sorry is important, but you've got to take it a little step further than that. It falls short because it doesn't actually solve the real problem of how to put things right. Forgiveness is another part of that. So saying you're sorry is one thing. You have to acknowledge the transgression, but you also have to ask for forgiveness. And that's where most people get confused. Now, Don Henley of the Eagles, one of my fav favorite artists, and uh, in 1989, End of the Innits, he wrote a song called Heart of the Matter. And the song is beautifully written. And he said it years later that it took him 40 minutes to write it, but 40 years to understand it. And one of the choruses saying, I'm learning to live without you now, but I miss you sometimes. The more I know, the less I understand. All the things I thought I knew, I'm learning again. But I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter. But my will gets weak and my thoughts scheme to scatter. But I think it's about forgiveness, forgiveness, even if, even if you don't love me anymore. While the song is beautiful and it does get down to the heart of the matter, forgiveness is what we truly need to start with. We have to start with saying our sorry, and we have to say that you have to ask somebody for forgiveness. But there's something more that has to be done. And this is going to take a little bit, of, it's kind of counterintuitive, I guess, in a sense, because one of the most selfless and selfless things you can do is seek out a way to reconcile yourself with your partner, your friends, your family, your close ones, even your coworkers, you have to reconcile these relationships. We have to put them right. And it's quite possible that the other person might not even know that you've hurt them. Small example, let's say you go to the store and you paid cash for something. I know we don't do that much anymore. You take out your debit card and whatnot, but let's say you go to the store and you paid cash and you paid with a 10 and the cashier gave you back change for a 20. Now, you didn't mean to do this. You walked out of the store thinking you got the correct change. You might not have even checked it. You got in your car and you drove away and then realized later that, wow, I got another 10 in my pocket and I gave a 10, so something happened. But it, let's say you may not even go back to the store. You're just driving through that town. What happens is, is that you know deep down inside of you that what happened was wrong. 
There is a part of you that knows that. Whether you did it or not, or whether they know it or not, there is a wrong that's been done. And you have to try and figure out a way to put that right. So in your mind, deep down in the recesses of your mind, you, you store these little things away, these transgressions away. You constantly put them back in the deep of your mind. And the more times you do this without trying to reconcile it, the bigger the door gets, the stronger the lock becomes, the bigger the brick wall around your heart becomes, and it actually gets you to the point where you can't even have the ability to feel anymore. Matter of fact, I'm going to submit to you that you're not even putting it in the recesses of your mind. You're putting it in the recesses of your soul. Modern psychology tells us we shouldn't harbor guilty feelings. We should let, not let these things overwhelm us and come down us too harshly to ourselves. And I believe that's quite right. Another line from Heart of the Matter is, if you keep holding on to that anger, it'll eat you up inside. And that is absolutely true. Those transgressions do eat you up inside. They come out slowly but surely. You become hardened. You heard the saying, harden not your heart. Well, that's what this actually means, is that when you start building these transgressions, you build a wall around your heart, and it actually affects your ability to feel or possibly even to love correctly. But reconciliation is a three-step process. And so far, we've talked about two of those. One, you're sorry. Two, say, can you forgive me? The third part is also equal, is saying, how can I make it up to you? You have to take that last step. Now, what if they don't forgive you? What if they don't say it's okay? Now, most people would say if if you, you know, if you ask them for forgiveness, they're going to say, it's cool. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got you. Thank you. They are willing to accept your apology or when you ask them forgiveness to forgive you. But what if they don't? What if the transgression really did hurt you or hurt the other person? It becomes more like a tennis match then in this particular. Stay with me through this analogy. So the ball is in your court and you volley it back to the other person. That's your apology and that's your asking for forgiveness. They can return that ball to you and say it's okay. Or they can let the ball drop at their feet and say, I'm not there. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready yet. I can't do that yet. But that also is part of the process because you have to understand that by giving them time and giving the opportunity, one, the ball is now in their court. You've done your job. You've done what you needed to do. You've alleviated that sense of that guilt, that sense of problem that you've created for yourself. You're not storing this thing deep in your heart, the recesses of your mind. You're letting it out and making an honest effort to put things right. Now, the other person's going to have to take that step, and you're going to have to be patient, possibly, and wait for that to come along. You might have to seek out another time when you ask for forgiveness, when you say, okay, do you forgive me? Can I do something to make this right? By asking for forgiveness, you're giving yourself that opportunity for that other person to forgive you. By trying to make it right, by putting the ball in their court, by asking you what you can do to make it up for them, you're giving the opportunity for that relationship to be healed, to be built back together, and to move forward and, heal, and, and be better in the long run. You're going to be better in the long run. If you don't do these things, in the long run, you're going to wind up building a wall around your heart. And eventually that, heart, that wall is going to get so thick, you're going to lose the ability to love. Because love requires an open, pliable, vulnerable heart. 
Yep. Martina McBride has a, has a great song out and says, do it anyway. If you love somebody so much and they don't return that love, do it anyway. You write the song that you gave it all your heart and soul into and no one clapped at all. Sing it anyway. Sing your heart out. Do the things you can anyway. Make that effort to be there for someone else. Because reconciliation and the idea that is not letting somebody off the hook. It's not a sense of injustice. It's actually creating justice within the relationships that you have and making them better in the long run. So to end this thing up, reconciliation takes the three things. It takes willing to say you're sorry, admit to it. And the faster you do that, the better. The bigger the transgression, the faster you need to say it. Uh, I, just a real quick aside, I worked on Wall Street for a long time. And the one thing I never tolerated for the people who worked for me as, when I was a trader was they lied to me. If they lost $40,000 or $50,000 on a trade, mistakes happen. That's part of the business. But don't lie to me about it. Don't lie to me and obfuscate and try and turn that away. I fired more people, unfortunately, for lying to me about something than I ever did for them screwing up and making a mistake. People are human. They make mistakes. And if you're willing to open your heart up and willing to forgive, and if you're willing to ask for forgiveness and offer forgiveness and see if you can make it up for them, ultimately, you're opening your heart up and giving you your chance to heal that relationship and ultimately give you a chance to truly feel love. Thank you guys very much. I truly appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. And I one last thing on this. The first place you need to start is with yourself. Boy, I'm going to have to forgive myself for saying that. No, I'm just messing with <laughs> awesome <laughs> that's all good man you know, that's uh, why we're here no of course no appreciate you coming on man a lot of a lot of interesting conversation i love how at the beginning you 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 related for different both like a physical aspect and then you got it to the religious aspect as well the reason why i say it, i've been pointing out a lot of religious stuff recently because i've recently started visiting the faith so a lot of the stuff that i've been referring stuff to me as a person is is bound back and forth to the Bible, trying to find the understanding. So it's just always cool to see how it always goes back to it. But before we kind of jump into it, um, for those listening here, let's let's kind of kick it off with a regular introduction, who you are, where you come from, kind of like a background, which ultimately led us to to here in the podcast room, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Randy introduced me as Michael Grace. Uh, uh, I grew up on Long Island from a, parents of immigrants from Long, from Ireland. Literally, my parents are right off the boat. And so my brothers and sisters, they were born there. And I was born here. Grew up on Long Island, and I moved to New Jersey in 85. Uh, met my wife and started commuting into New York. Uh, three kids. I worked on Wall Street. Um, prior to that, I was managing bands and concerts because my brother's a world-class flutist, and he's went to Juilliard at 12. Wow. I mean, I wasn't that good. I was, I was, I was the dancer of the family. <laughs> So uh, I was really good at that too. But um, so uh, I got to Wall Street um, for the wrong reasons with the right ideas. And my mother always just used to say the road to hell was paved with good intentions and there was no truer sense of me going to Wall Street because I figured, well, I can do it the right way. You know, but being on Wall Street is really tough because you're making money for money's sake. But I love the dynamics of trading and I, and I spent a career 
trading, making markets. I set the price in Intel or Microsoft or Apple on a day-to-day -day basis, me and a bunch of other people around the firm. We were market makers. I didn't deal with the public. I dealt with other firms, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, whatever it would be. I worked at Lehman Brothers and Wagner Stott and whatnot. But from there, uh, I went into investment banking. But along that whole way, I always was uh, I was always deep into theology. It was one of the things I studied in school. I got my, you know, I went to school at Upsa College and NYU for a little bit, but Upsa College mostly for management and finance. But I always had studied theology and philosophy along the way. And I was always teaching in the church. I was always, uh, you know, growing up Irish Catholic, you know, that's a big part of our lives. So as soon as I could, I was teaching in the church. This is the time I was in in my early 20s. Uh, um, and I continue to do it to this day. Um, once I left the street, I went to become a teacher. I went back to school. I went back to Columbia University. I got a degree in political philosophy. Uh, so I had the finance. I have finance and management and economics as a background. I have uh, philosophy and, you know, political science and sustainability as a part of my international relations. And I also have theology. I studied, you know, the different types of religions, comparative religion, and then I got a job teaching history and religion at a school in Jersey City, a Catholic school in Jersey City, where I, you know, I, my son was uh, was going for football. And then from there, uh, I went to William Patterson, where I was a professor until this last semester of economics and finance. I taught financial literacy. I created a class called the Markets, Products, and Environments. But within my financial literacy class, I teach uh, young kids basically the process of budgeting, what money is, how, how to manage it, what to do with it, what not to do with it, how to read the markets why money exists, the whole concept of interest rates and so on and so forth. But I wanted to go back to high school for the simple reason that I get to be with kids for 180 days as opposed to 12 weeks in a semester, three times a week maybe. So uh, I'm now, uh, I accepted a job at a, a local Catholic high school in New Jersey. I moved from one town, I moved to Blairstown, which is closer to uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm going to be working at a local uh, Catholic high school teaching philosophy and theology this year. And hopefully that's where I'm going to finish my career doing that. Because the connection that you can make with, with uh, young adults and young kids like that, teenagers and so on and so forth, there is no greater feeling than to watch a kid's eyes when they get that concept and they see that aha moment come over you. Um, you really feel a sense of true fulfillment within your own self. Uh, and I, I can't say that I wasn't successful on Wall Street. I was. I was. I did. I did. I did okay. <laughs> but I can tell you, there's uh, there has been no greater satisfaction than when I'm sitting down with a student one on one, and they're talking to me about something. Uh, they're having an issue, and between the two of us, we come to a solution for them, for them, that helps them grow and understand a concept. And you walk out of that room, f walking on air. And that, you know, that's the feeling I want to I want to continue to get for the rest of my life by giving back to those around me, uh, whether it's in my day to life or at school or wherever I can in business and so on and so forth. That's the that's the objective here. It's not a question about making money. It's not the pursuit of that. It's a it's the pursuit of what Randy what, and I connected with Randy with is the pursuit literally of happiness that Aristotle said. It's it's the ultimate goal in life is happiness. And Randy's motto his whole mantra is giving people that sense of finding happiness. And that's what draw me to him to, to find this where we are today. Wow. It's very interesting. You cover a lot of, um, say like, I don't want to say industry. We have a lot of industry experience from all aspects. Like you say, the financial district, the, the, the religious aspect, the, um, even the teaching aspect. I'm more curious to kind of pick your brain on how, 
how often those three industries coincide with each other, where the clash comes, right? Because um, I feel finance, there's certain areas and aspects of the finance industry that sometimes coincide with areas of the religious realm or the religious world, which ultimately would lead, like you said to yourself, you want to teach people. Um, I'm just curious to see like during your time and your, in, in your learning and your experience from, from finance to, to theology to now teaching education, what has that process been like? What have the goods, the bads, the uglies, like what is just, what does it look like from someone that's potentially listening to this that can take that on their journey that they're going to, you know, their life journey, like this is what it's, this is what it's all about. This is what to expect and what not to really know. It's uh, it, it boils down to putting first principles first and second principles second. If like you a morality for, principle, essentially. Morality, um, even the ideas of what's actually uh, the true concepts are of happiness. If you think that the ends justify the means and you're reaching for the means and not the ends, um, mm. like money is a mean. And the one thing that Wall Street has a tendency to do to most people is they get sucked into the concept of money as an end. It's not. Money's only good for its, uh, in itself for something else. It buys you a soda. It buys you a car. It can buy you a half. It cannot buy you real happiness. Matter of fact, most of the most miserable people on the planet are the richest people in the world. I mean, I'm not going to disparage Elon Musk, but he seems to have changed a little bit the more the richer he's gotten. But, you know, uh, and I found that with the guys that I worked with and the women I worked with on Wall Street, the more money they made, the less open they became. And I think that in, in all these aspects of, you know, the three things that I've really concentrated on in life, they all intersect constantly. It's all about the relationships you have with people. And you have to treat people as ends and not means. They're not, they're, they, are, they are an end in and of themselves, and you have to treat them as such. The means is something else. You have to learn that means are means. Your car keys are good for your car to start your car. Your car is good for your car because it gets you someplace. It's not, it's not the be-all and end-all. It's the relationships we have between people. Interesting. What I liked about Wall Street is was one is trying to is trying to figure out the game, but I understood ultimately that it was the people that really made the last decision on that trade. The thing that moves a market is the sentiment is is this is investor sentiment. You can study all the charts and all the analytics you want, but the ultimate thing that's going to move any stock or the market itself is how people believe it and how they feel about it. How, how does that work in theology? Well, if you don't bring God into your life on a consistent basis, you lose the ultimate end. You lose the ultimate idea of what happiness actually is. So, you know, I used to be, you know, holier than thou Mike, so to speak, I guess. But I would say the rosary on the way to work just because I wanted to stay grounded. Because I knew that I knew I was going into the battle pits of what money actually is. Interesting. So in order to stay grounded, my mother had given me this ring. Uh, rosary I know ring. Exact, silver ring. It has yeah. the little balls at the end of it with the cross at the one. Exactly. Yeah, exactly and about. I would, I would, I would roll that in my hands on the path train while I was on my way to this. I would make sure that I'd say the rosary every day on the way to the city, just so I would stay grounded enough to know that you can't get sucked into this. There's, there's more to it than that, you know, um, relative to, you know, in finance, economics, and in religion and in teaching and all the rest of the aspect in business, they all intersect. Because it's all about the personal relationships we have. What Randy's done so well, and that I really, what I really love about what he does, and I'm so happy to have met him in this respect, is that you don't walk into that into Blue Ridge Winery knowing that it's a winery. You walk okay. into Blue Ridge Winery knowing that it's 
it, it's a connection. It, there's a, there's, it, there's an atmosphere of people. There's an atmosphere of connection. And it's almost, forgive me for saying this, it almost feels like there's an atmosphere of love in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the 4th community. of July celebration was amazing. I mean, yeah. and it was mm-hmm. just a community of people coming together with a common purpose. And if we realize that there's something greater than ourselves out there, that we all could connect in that, there is nothing that's not interconnected. I see. That's interesting. Curious on your take on that, Randy. So I would ask you, like, why, what, what made you chose reconciliation for the first talk? It's something we talked about on our first thing. We were talking about um, getting over things. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how we get moved past certain things. In your talk uh, down in the room, uh, in the underground, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. were talking about, you know, how we move past certain things that come across us. said, well, you know, and we talked about it. I said, well, you need to reconcile these things. And you mm-hmm. said, well, look, can you explain that to me? And I summarized it in those three things. She goes, well, that was a perfect summarization. Mm-hmm. Can, mm-hmm. You, can you write that for yep. me? I said, yeah, I can write that. Mm-hmm. This is what mm-hmm. I, you know, I teach that. I think, yep. you know, so I think it's a good place to start because we're, uh, we are such a fractured society. We're fractured in our family mm-hmm. lives. We're fractured in our spiritual lives. We're fractured in our business life. Politically, we're fractured. I mean, we could not be further apart, it seems now, than, than we've been in a really, really, really long time, mm-hmm. especially in my lifetime. So the way, how do we bring that back? How do we get ourselves back together? How do we get ourselves close together? Mm-hmm. And I think if it starts with reconciliation, mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Do you think that you'll, I mean, you have a lot of thoughts on these topics. Yeah. And it goes broad. Do you think you'll end up doing a podcast? I'd love to do a podcast because, you know, it's been my goal to launch this thing for two years, but COVID kind of threw things under the bus on me. And uh, my partner in, in Europe that was going to help me back this thing up, um, it was originally on financial literacy and I was going to bring this in, but I decided I needed to broaden it out to make myself feel happy about it. And I wanted to start a podcast basically on the three things you're not supposed to talk about in a bar. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, you never talk about religion, politics, or money in a bar. But I think those are the three topics I think we need to discuss more and bring them together and find common ground upon mm-hmm. in which we can all make things happen with. And if we can do that, you know, once a week, twice a week and get, you know, people come in and, and have those questions answers and then we can answer those questions mm-hmm. and and discuss these things i think we can really start the healing process for all of us maybe any twist on things basically the three topics but in a positive light exactly neat not yeah. a way to not a way to draw right. face not a way to you know like push the bar stool back and let's you know let's go at yeah. it we're yeah. talking about let's find common ground here because mm-hmm. there's a lot more than we think there's a mm-hmm. lot more common ground than we think there is great stuff no i'm yeah. with you mike yeah, I mean, I'll be a listener. I'm with you. I'd love you to be there with me. It's awesome. The whole, the whole journey. I think it's a great journey we can start. And we, the, you know, the, you know, each journey starts with one step. Right. It? There you go. I love <laughs> that. <laughs> Let's awesome, keep walking. Man. It's awesome. Man. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks um, for being here. Yeah, thank stuff. you so much. Really it's, cool. It's, cool. It. it's cool meeting. I always, whenever Randy's like, hey, I met somebody. Let's bring him. I'm like, yeah, well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious. Uh, I do quickly before I end it here. I want to pick your brain on one more thing. Sure. We don't have to dive too much into it because if we're gonna, I think developing some sort of podcast that would be really interesting to see. My question would be those three topics. Why are they so difficult to talk about at a bar? What makes those three topics so difficult to speak at a bar? Passion, because everybody's passionate about their. They get own. very passionate about it. I mean, the pa- I mean, if you go back to we go back to you know my my background in, in philosophy, Plato's and the ideas of the passions that in Aristotle that drive us, you know, um, people are very passionate about politics because um, Machiavelli screwed that all up by making it, you know, the art of the possible as opposed to the art of what we could do in terms together. And I think um, religion, people are very passionate about their religion. And 
I, I wrote a paper one time years ago about there's no such thing as a religious war. And I, my, my professor nearly killed me. But, you know, the thesis was this, is that uh, religion is often used as a guise for other people's ends. So no, like if you're a king back in the day and you wanted more grazing for your horses or you wanted that land over there because you loved the hill and you wanted to build a new castle on it, but you got to take it because the other person owns it. You got to get your army together and do that. Now, if you say, listen, I need more grazing pasture for my horses or get your swords and let's go. We're going to kill the people. People aren't going to follow you. Mm. But if you tell them that they hate your God, well. That's a different story. That's a different story. They're going to, they're probably going to go, well, they hit our God. Let's go. Yeah. You know, they're very passionate about that. So, you know, and politics and money. <laughs> yeah. Go to any household and find out what breaks up a marriage or a relationship quicker than money. And, you know, besides infidelity, there's nothing more than that. And by the way, most people are, you know, find those reasons for infidelity. It is rooted in, again, putting second things first and first things second. Yeah. If you do that, you won't achieve either. If you put second things second and first things first, you may not reach first principles, but you'll get the second ones. But if you put second principles first, you're going to lose them both mm. and you're going to be left empty handed. Very nice. Great stuff. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. All right. right. I really so appreciate much. you guys. Thanks very much, mm -hmm. man. It was a great time being Thanks, here and, a, and it's awesome to meet you guys. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, 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 Thanks so much. Thank you. Absolutely.